you, Becky, for inviting me out. Um, it's great to come to New York. It's been a while since I've been here. Um, and um, so here's a picture of uh, Salt Lake City. The main campus is here. Uh, this is one of my favorite times. It's the fall. You have this beautiful foliage change. Um, and the Health Sciences campus is out here where, uh, where my lab is at. Uh, and so when I uh, started my lab, uh, we were interested in understanding how different types of fat cells are programmed. And um, when I was a postdoc in Peter's lab, we identified a transcriptional co-regulator of PPR gamma that is important driving the white adipocyte program. And so to that, uh, before that, there have been a couple of uh, regulators, PRDM16, PGC1-alpha, that have been shown to be important in uh, uh, programming brown adipocytes and beige adipocytes. However, the factors that drive the white fat program had not been discovered. And uh, through this work, we, decided, we, we became interested in, in trying to understand this further, um, and also trying to understand the metabolic changes that occur uh, with cold exposure and activation of brown and beige fats. Um, and so just a little bit of background. So um, brown fats activated within minutes of cold exposure. It's highly metabolic, expresses the uncoupling protein. Uh, the uncoupling protein essentially allows protons uh, uh, to leak into the mitochondria without coupling it to ATP synthesis. Now, beige adipocytes, this is a more of a long-term adaptive mechanism. They appear after several days of cold exposure. And uh, like brown adipocytes, they also express the uncoupling protein. Um, and a lot of people know about white adipocytes. They store tri uh, triglycerides. Now, um, there's, there's there's been this uh, interest in, in trying to understand what the role of brown fat is in humans. Uh, this is one of the first studies highlighting that uh, adults had functional brown fat. We knew infants had brown fat. Uh, however, there is little evidence that uh, uh, adults had brown fat until this study that used a radio tracer and PET scan. Um, and what they found is when they compared uh, this individual in the warm versus the cold room, is uh, pockets of uh, uh, tissue that could take up glucose, uh, reflecting that they were highly metabolic. Now, um, there's been a number of studies now studying brown fat in humans. Um, there's this inverse cor correlation between brown fat activity and body fat mass. Individuals that are morbidly obese on this end have very little brown fat uh, activity. Um, there's been a couple of studies now showing um, that individuals that have brown fat, so this was actually an interesting study because essentially what they did is they matched uh, fat mass and BMI. And then they uh, did PET scans and found individuals that had brown fat and those that didn't. And um, here TN is thermoneutrality and CE is cold exposure. This was a five-hour cold exposure. And so what you can see here is that there's an increase in resting energy expenditure in those individuals that were in the cold. These differences don't seem like a lot, but it turns out it's 15%. And if you increase your energy expenditure by 15%, it would add up to quite a bit over time. Um, and so based on these studies and, and some of the other studies that have been published in humans and in rodents, 
Uh, we became interested in trying to understand what are the metabolic changes that occur in response to the cold. We know that mammals uh, have to increase energy expenditure to maintain their core body temperature when ambient temperature changes. Um, and so we did a simple study. We uh, placed C57 black six mice at uh, different ambient temperatures and put them in the clamp system to measure uh, energy expenditure. And what you can see here is uh, at 16 degrees Celsius, which is the temperature known to activate non-shivering thermogenesis, you can see a doubling in energy expenditure and uh, compared to 30 degrees Celsius, which is thermal neutrality. The other thing that you'll note here is that four degrees Celsius, um, there isn't uh, uh, that much of a dramatic change compared to 16 degrees Celsius. And so to, to us, this indicates that this, this primarily is, uh, uh, the, these effects on energy expenditure are through non-shivering thermogenesis. The other thing that you'll note here is that RER, which reflects substrate utilization. So the closer you're to one, you're primarily using carbohydrates. And uh, if you're closer to 0.7, you're primarily using fat as a fuel source. Um, and what you can see here is at 16 degrees Celsius, you see a drop in RER, indicating that there is a shift towards utilizing fatty acids. Um, and so based on these studies, we decided to embark on um, uh, 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 lipidomics. We wanted to understand what are the metabolic changes that are occurring uh, in response to the cold. And so we did a simple study. We took plasma from mice at room temp versus cold. And we profiled about 3,000 lipids. And uh, out of these, there were 281 lipids that were significantly changed. Uh, in response to the cold, you see that there are about a third of them increase and uh, two thirds decrease. Um, the other thing that we noted is that, um, well, I should back up. So, from 280 lipids, what do you pick, right? Um, and so one of the things that we decided to do is compare uh, these lipid profiles to mice that age. And the reason we did that is because we knew that aging uh, mice had impaired thermogenesis. And uh, the goal was to essentially pick a lipid that could be induced in response to the cold in the younger mice, but the effect would be blunted in the older mice. Um, and so when we uh, took these lipids, here were um, from left to right, uh, uh, the lipids are ordered in the same way in the young mice and the older mice. And what you can see here, just by looking at the pattern, uh, the lipid signature is very different between young and older mice. And so we decided to focus our studies on uh, this lipid class called acylcarnitine. Um, and, uh, we now, we now we know a, a lot more about what acylcarnitines are doing. Um, there was little known about the role of acylcarnitines in the plasma. Um, and so here's just showing a volcano plot with full change and significance on the y-axis. And what you can see here, the, uh, these are long-chain acylcarnitine spe species with uh, different lengths and different uh, saturation. Um, and so just, just as a way of background, acylcarnitines uh, are essentially a fatty acid with a carnitine group attached to the end. Carnitine is 
is actually a way that cells are able to solubilize fatty acids. So you can take palmitate, for example, and you add water to it, there's no way you'll dissolve it, right? You have to do a lot of tricks to get it to go into solution. <coughs> Acylcarnitines, you add water and they completely go into solution. So how are these made? Um, so acylcarnitines are made through the carnitine shuttle. This is a pathway that was worked out uh, back in the 70s and 80s by Dan Foster and Dennis McGarry at UT Southwestern. And um, what they found is essentially uh, fatty acids that come in through uh, uh, bloodstream are taken up by cells. Then uh, through the carnitine shuttle, you generate these acylcarnitines. Uh, once you generate these acyl carnitines, the idea is that they're destined for fatty acid oxidation. Um, and uh, through fatty acid oxidation, uh, you generate reducing equivalents to uh, 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 use energy for the electron transport chain. Now, um, CPT1 is an enzyme that generates these acyl carnitines. Uh, it takes a fatty acyl CoA and adds a carnitine group and removes the CoA. Um, once you make the acylcarnitine, then it can be transported into the mitochondria through CACT, which is a, a, a carnitine, acylcarnitine translocase. Um, so it pumps acylcarnitines in and carnitine out. Um, then CPT2 removes the carnitine, adds a CoA back on, and then it, uh, these fatty acids can be oxidized in the mitochondria. So, so what's known about acylcarnitines, and so when we looked in the literature, uh, what we found is that uh, there's evidence that acylcarnitines were elevated with prolonged high-fat diet. There's some evidence that uh, there could be a link with diabetes, uh, which makes a lot of sense if they're elevated with high-fat diet. They were uh, shown to be elevated with prolonged fasting, both in rodents and in humans. Um, and they've been primarily studied uh, because they're byproducts of it, uh, uh, metabolic disorders uh, that occur in infants. So CPT2 deficiency, LCAT, MCAT, and VLCAT deficiency, essentially this leads to um, acylcarnitine accumulation in blood. And uh, if you look at this pathway, you can sort of uh, make a lot of sense out of these. If you can't metabolize them, then acylcarnitines uh, accumulate and uh, they end up in the bloodstream. So is this just a leakage phenomenon? So that's what we, that was one of the things that we thought. Um, and I think there is more going on. Um, and, and I'll share some of the reasons why I think that. Um, there are transcriptional changes that are occurring in the liver that are regulating this response in response to the cold. And so I think that there is this concerted effort to generate these acylcarnitines for a purpose. And hopefully I can convince you at the end of this talk what these acylcarnitines are doing. But the only transferases are in the mitochondria, right? Right. So the, the car there are none in the cytosol. There are none in the cytosol. Yeah. Um, and so we decided, we found a collaborator um, at the University of Utah, Nicola Longo, who's a geneticist and studies acylcarnitine for, for a living. And essentially, they find a lot of patients in the Intermountain region, which includes Idaho, Nevada, Utah, um, that have these uh, uh, inborn errors of metabolism. And essentially, these individuals usually present where they're 
they're usually uh, uh, six months old. Um, they'll go through a period where um, mom starts to uh, uh, reduce the amount of uh, nursing. Um, and so the prolonged fasting uh, ends up causing um, um, seizures and, um, and a lot of these uh, patients also develop hypoglycemia. Um, and so we looked at several of these long-chain isocarnitine species in response to the cold. You can see that um, several of these long-chain fatty acids, as well as monounsaturated and polyunsaturated uh, isocarnitine species were elevated. Uh, both in uh, three-month-old mice and 24-month-old mice. However, in older mice, you can see that this response is blunted. And, and, and I'll come back to that uh, as well. So I grouped these uh, by long chain, uh, medium chain, and short chain. And what you can see is that the biggest effect is with long chain isoparnitine species. Um, However, we also see that the shorter chain acylparnitines are also elevated. And you can see that with the older mice, this is blunted. Uh, when we looked at carnitine levels in the plasma, they decrease in response to the cold. Uh, which makes a lot of sense, right? If tissues are metabolizing fatty acids, then you would use carnitine. You'd take them up and uh, uh, make these acylparnitines. But I'm, I'm sorry, isn't it? Isn't it thought that the short and medium chain fatty acids are not isolated with carnitine? They are. So there's an enzyme called uh, CRAT, which is a carnitine acetyltransferase. And so you can add uh, 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 carnitine to, um, uh, to, um, to acetate, for example, right, which is very short. Um, <laughs> And, and I think what's, what's happening is that there are probably other enzymes that haven't been identified because they're the CRAT and then you have um, uh, uh, CBT1, which uses long chain fatty acids. And there isn't really anything in between, right? At least that's been identified. But from what we can see, we can see medium chain acylcarnitine. So there must be an enzyme that's adding these carnitine groups on, right? Um, and, it, and it could be CPT1. I don't think anybody's looked at that very carefully. Um, and so we had several questions based on these studies. Where are these acylcarnitines coming from? Um, what's regulating their uh, production? Um, and so we had a couple of uh, different players that we thought could be involved in this process. Uh, we thought brown fat could potentially generate these. Uh, we uh, were able to get our hands on batless mice. These are UCP1 DTA mice. And um, you can still see the increase in acylcarnitine. So that, that ended up ruling out uh, brown fat. Um, one of the things that we ended up doing is looking at gene expression of uh, enzymes involved in acylcarnitine metabolism. And so we looked at these three tissues, including uh, 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 um, in, in the liver, I should say. Um, so we looked at the expression of octan-2, which transports carnitine into the cell. We looked at CPT-1 expression, um, both CPT-1A and CPT-1B, um, CACT and CPT-2. Um, and so, to our surprise, um, there were a number of changes in gene expression that were occurring in the liver. 
we know a lot about brown fat and the transcriptional changes that occur in response to the cold. However, we know very little about other tissues. Um, and so this was surprising to us. One of the genes that was highly induced was CPT1B. Um, so there are two CPT1s in the liver. CPT1A is the predominant CPT1. <coughs> CPT1B uh, is also expressed in the liver, but um, it's much more highly expressed in heart and skeletal muscle. Now, Octin-2 was also increased in response to the cold. CPT1A was not different. Um, so CRAT is the, the other enzyme that I mentioned that generates um, these acetyl uh, carnitines. Um, and that was also induced in response to the cold. We also did a Western blot to see whether uh, we could see changes in CPT1B. We could see that in response to the cold, it's induced. Uh, Octin-2 is also increased. Uh, when we looked at the uh, changes in gene expression in young and older mice, you can see that the young mice have a robust response. However, the older mice have this blunted response. And again, we also looked at other tissues that could potentially be making these carnitines. We looked at brown adipose tissue and skeletal muscle. And there wasn't really much going on in these tissues that would, at least in gene expression-wise, that would explain uh, some of the changes that we were seeing. And so we thought, well, uh, perhaps these changes are coming from uh, the liver. Um, so what mechanism is regulating the production of these acylcarnitines? And so as we look into the literature, uh, there's evidence that HNF4-alpha was a major player in driving the expression of CPT1 in the liver. Um, and so we focused our efforts on CPT1 to test whether it was responsible for driving this response. And so a little bit of background, HNF4-alpha is a nuclear receptor, uh, binds to DNA as a homodimer, um, and is normally constitutively bound to DNA. So it doesn't come on and off like some of the other nuclear receptors. Uh, the transcriptional coactivator that activates HNF4-alpha is PGC1-alpha in the liver. Um, and so fatty acids can um, also activate HNF4-alpha and drive this transcriptional response. Um, in addition, HNF4-alpha, uh, there have been mutations identified that uh, result in uh, monogenic forms of diabetes. Um, so a single copy of a mutant form of HNF4-alpha can uh, lead to early onset diabetes. And so we uh, did CHIP to look at HNF4-alpha occupancy uh, near some of these genes that were being induced in response to the cold. Uh, here's CHIP for uh, the liver, and uh, here's the CPT1B, and you can see that there's a peak right here. Octin-2, there are several peaks uh, upstream from the transcriptional start site. Uh, PPR-alpha is known to be an HNF4 um, target. Uh, you can see that there are several HNF4 binding sites as well as CRAT. Um, and then we went back and validated some of these by chip qPCR. Um, and you can see that there is uh, occupancy of HNF4 at some of these sites. Um, so we also looked at the expression of uh, other HNF4-alpha targets that um, were not involved in acyl carnitine metabolism. 
Um, and we looked at PPR alpha, and you can see that this classical target is induced dramatically in response to the cold. Uh, we also saw APOA4, HNF4 alpha regulates uh, uh, triglyceride secretion in the liver. Um, and uh, you can see that APOA4 increases in response to the cold. However, HNF4 alpha expression was not really changed in response to cold exposure. And so uh, we found a collaborator at the uh, University of Kansas, uh, Uriyan Ashi. And so they have these HNF4 alpha flox mice, and um, they collaborated with us to knock it out in the liver using AABA and the thoroxin binding globulin promoter. Um, so here we can get uh, very specific expressions in hepatocytes um, after we infuse adenovirus IV. And what you can see by Western blot, HNF4 alpha is now uh, deleted. Uh, and by gene expression, it's gone from the liver. And uh, expression is normal in other tissues. So we put these, we, when we did this experiment, we did the antivirus treatment. Um, and after a week, we put these mice in the cold room um, to ask what happens to their ability to adapt to the cold. And what you can see is that the knockout mice when you look at their core body temperature, they have an impaired ability to adapt to the cold. Um, and so this is really surprising, right? Because what we know about thermogenesis, at least in rodents, has been primarily studied in brown fat. There's very little known about uh, uh, the role of peripheral tissues. Um, so um, we also uh, looked at expression in the liver in response to knocking out HNF4. And what you can see is that when you knock out HNF4, you no longer get the induction in response to the cold. You can see that uh, this is the pre-treated uh, mice. You no longer get induction in CPT1B. Uh, Octane 2, the induction is blunted, um, as well as some of the other transcripts that were induced in the cold. Now, the major player that activates this program, we think, is PGC1-alpha. And when we looked at PGC1-alpha levels in response to the cold, um, and this is after five hours of cold exposure, you can see that there's a dramatic induction in the liver. Um, however, when you knock out HNF4-alpha, that uh, blocks this response. So one of the things that we thought, well, you know, these knockout mice, um, HNF4-alpha has pleiotropic effects on regulating hepatic energy metabolism. Um, and so we thought, well, one possibility is that these mice have uh, impaired glucose production, and that could lead to their impaired ability to adapt to the cold, particularly since we know that brown fat util utilizes uh, a tremendous amount of glucose to drive thermogenesis. Uh, but we, what you can see here is that the HNF4-alpha knockout mice uh, actually had uh, higher levels of glucose in, in the bloodstream. So we then looked at acylparnitine levels in the plasma, and what you can see is that the knockout mice um, had reduced levels of long-chain acylparnitine. Um, and we looked at several species, and uh, for the most part, um, they were consistently uh, uh, reduced. Um, free fatty acid levels were normal in these uh, mice. You can see that when you knock out HNF-alpha here, you still get that induction in response to the cold. Um, and so this is actually important data because 
Free fatty acids can also provide fuel for thermogenesis. Uh, and these mice have an impaired ability to adapt to the cold, and they have normal free fatty acid levels in uh, the plasma. Now, um, one of the questions we had was, well, this cold response we're doing at 4 degrees Celsius, that can also induce uh, uh, shivering. So we thought, well, let's use uh, uh, a molecule that will activate thermogenesis without having to put mice in the cold room. Um, <laughs> and so we use a beta-3 adrenergic receptor agonist. This is a, a pretty selective uh, activator of the receptor. It's CL316243. And uh, the beta-3 adrenergic receptor is only expressed in adipose tissue, both white and brown fat. Um, and is all, there's also some ex uh, expression in the bladder. Um, but the receptor is not expressed in the liver, okay? So keep, keep that in mind. Um, and what you can see in response to this beta-3 adrenergic receptor agonist, we can see that uh, acyl carnitines increase. Um, and when we looked at hepatic gene expression, we can see that this also is able to stimulate CPT1B and Octin2, APOA4, and CRAT. Keep in mind, there's no receptor in the liver, right? So what's going on here? Um, so when we started thinking about this a little bit more and thinking about the CL response, we thought, well, perhaps the free fatty acids are activating this transcriptional response. Especially knowing that HNF4-alpha is activated by fatty acids, we thought that perhaps lipolysis is driving this transcriptional response in the liver. Uh, with the idea that uh, free fatty acids released from the adipose tissue would activate HNF4-alpha and would also provide fuel source for these acylcarnitines. So uh, we did a time course to look at the changes in free fatty acids and the changes in acyl carnitines. And what you can see here that within 30 minutes uh, at four degrees Celsius relative to room temp, you can see that free fatty acids increase above one millimolar. Um, and after this increase, you can see that that goes down over time. And during this period where you see this drop in uh, free fatty acid levels, we see this uh, dramatic uh, increase in palmatial carnitine. So this long chain is the carnitine. Um, and when we looked at other acyl carnitine species, they all pretty much follow this similar response. So um, with that idea in mind that perhaps free fatty acids are driving this response, particularly since the free fatty acid changes were occurring very early, uh, we decided to uh, prevent uh, this response using an ATGL inhibitor. So ATGL is, the, uh, is uh, the enzyme that hydrolyzes triglycerides in the adipose tissue and uh, as a result releases free fatty acids. Um, it's primarily expressed in the adipocyte compared to other uh, tissues. There's very low expression in the liver. And when we pretreated mice with a single dose of atlistatin, which is the ATGL inhibitor, you can see that it can block the induction in free fatty acid levels in the blood. So it's, its compound is doing what it's supposed to do. Then we looked at expression in the liver and found that uh, mice that were pretreated with agglistatin have a blunted response in response to the cold. 
So here is room temp versus cold. You see PGC1 alpha, CPT1B, CRAT increases. When we treat with atlas-satin, you see that response is decreased in the winter. So uh, we put these mice in the cold room, and what you can see is that with atlas-satin treatment, you see this uh, really uh, impaired response to adapt to the cold. So when you look at their core body temperature, um, these mice have a, a, a significant drop in their core body temperature compared to the vehicle control. How does this compare to the data that you showed before about what happens just when you block the production of the acyl carnitines? Yeah, so this effect is much greater than um, the effect on acyl carnitines, uh, the effect on uh, knocking out HNF4-alpha um, as far as core body temperature. Um, and the effect on acyl carnitines in this case is, is much greater than uh, the effect from knocking out HNF4-alpha. And so I think there's a couple of things going on. I think there's a transcriptional response that's going on in the liver. Uh, but also, the, uh, the carbons produced from lipolysis provide um, the fuel for make, making these acylcarnitines. Um, so I, I think it's sort of a, a flux-driven process, but it, there's also a transcriptional response in the liver that's driving it. But as far as parsing what the contribution of the lipolysis or the free fatty acids versus, versus acylcarnitines yeah. within that, right? Because presumably it would be some portion of the total response that would be elicited by the free fatty acids. Right, yeah, and that's a great question, and that's something that we've really thought about. Um, and, and so one of the experiments that I think could address that, and, and I don't have that here, is to essentially do this same experiment where you block the free fatty acid release, and then add back acylcarnitines, right? And then see what happens to their core body temperature. Then we can say, you know, this is the effect that's solely dependent on acylcarnitines versus free fatty acids. But it's it's a hard experiment to do, right? Because you need the free fatty acids to make these acylcarnitines. But yes. you can try to do experiments just trying to prevent, I mean, by increasing the amount of carnitine, a carnitine deficiency kind of. Uh... Yeah, that's a great question. So we have an experiment that will hopefully get done in the next week. Um, hopefully, if I go back to work on Friday, it'll already be done, <laughs> keeping my fingers crossed. Um, so, so essentially, what we we're going to do is target CPT1 in the liver to prevent the production of these acylcarnitines. Are you going to use valproacid? Valproacid inhibits carnitine production. Yeah, so. It's not, it's not because it doesn't something, but carnitine is mainly a nutrient. Uh huh. Right. So, so my, my reservation for that is that would take a long time to deplete the carnitine, right? And so we'd also have to use a diet that doesn't have carnitine. Uh, I, I kind of like the targeting the liver because we'll do that acutely um, to try to, you know, prevent off, well, I mean, it's hard to prevent off-target effects, but uh, with, you know, with, with a much I think would be a cleaner experiment. It would be more direct, right? Knocking down the enzymes that make these acyl carnitines. <coughs> uh, but that's a great, great suggestion. Um, and so we, we then, um, to try to delve into more of a mechanism of how this response is occurring in the, in the liver, 
Uh, we did an experiment where uh, we isolated primary hepatocytes from wild type mice, and uh, we treated with one millimolar palmitate, which is essentially what we see in response to the cold. Uh, and you can see that uh, in response to palmitate, after five hours of incubation, you see that um, all of these genes are increased in response to palmitate. We also were worried about aglistatin because aglistatin could potentially have off-target effects uh, on the liver. And so we uh, treated these primary hepatocytes with aglistatin, and you see that there is no effect from aglistatin. Uh, and so, and so, I just want to point that this, you know, this highlights that the fatty acids can activate this this transcriptional response directly in hepatocytes. Um, and so, we, and this is largely based on re reviewers' comments in our papers under review right now. Um, uh, the reviewers asked, "Well, knock out ATGL only in adipocytes." Um, and luckily, uh, we found an investigator who um, had these mice. Um, this was actually an interaction that I had at the Gordon conference uh, this last year. Um, so that's where I met Renat, who works in uh, Rudy Zechner's lab, who had these uh, adipose-specific ATGL knockout mice. Um, these mice were originally made by Aaron Hershaw from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and so. In these experiments, uh, we used the beta-3 adrenergic receptor agonist, and we did this because these mice are extremely sensitive to the cold. Uh, so when you put these adipose-specific knockout mice in the cold, they will only last about two hours tops, and their core body temperature just really plummets. Um, and so we decided to use uh, this compound where we can treat the mice uh, at room temperature. Um, so you can see here, ATGL is knocked out in the adipocytes. Uh, it's not knocked out in, in any other tissues um, other than the adipose tissue. And you can see that free fatty acid levels plummet in these mice. And um, so we treated with this compound and looked at the expression of CPT1B. And you can see that CPT1B expression increases. And that's completely blocked when you don't have ATGL in the adipose tissue and prevent this lipolytic response. Um, so what happens to serum acylcarnitine levels? And so what you can see here is that in response to the CL compound, uh, these long-chain acylcarnitines increase. However, in this adipose-specific knockout mice, you no longer get the induction. Um, and so the free fatty acids in this case are driving the transcriptional response. Um, and they're also uh, driving uh, flux of these carbons into uh, Um So the next experiment we did, well, we asked, well, if you uh, think that HNF4-alpha is driving this response, knock out HNF4-alpha and see whether the response to free fatty acids is effective. Um, and so we generated uh, HNF4-alpha flux flux mice. They carry the Rosa uh, uh, 26 lock stop locks tomato. So essentially, this is a way for us to read out whether we get recombination from the pre um, adenovirus. Um, and so here we use uh, GFP and GFP Cree adenovirus, and you can see that these cells are labeled, um, and you get recombination with uh, uh, with Cree. 
when we looked at HNF4 alpha levels, HNF4 alpha is, is now uh, depleted in these cells. Um, and what you can see here, we used palmitate in this case, and we did a dose response from uh, 0.25 to 1 millimolar. And you can see that octane 2 APOA4, TTP, and PTC1-alpha um, all respond to, these fatty acid, to this fatty acid. Um, and you see that this uh, occurs in a dose-dependent manner. And if you knock out HNF4-alpha, you no longer see that induction. Um, so one of the questions that we got asked is, well, what happens with uh, the gene expression program over time? And so the idea for us here was that uh, we could uh, check to see what are the early changes that occur and how early do they occur in the liver in response to the cold. Um, and so we did this time course uh, comparing mice at room temp versus cold. And you can see that PGC1-alpha levels increase um, at three hours. This is where they peak. Um, and these changes in PGC1-alpha precede the changes in CPT1B. So we think PGC1-alpha is a likely driver of this response. We also looked at acyl carnitine levels in the liver. And we thought that the liver, we think that the liver is the major uh, producer of these long-chain acyl carnitines. Um, and here are two uh, long-chain acyl carnitines, uh, <laughs> palmitate and uh, 14-0. And you can see that after five hours, um, their, uh, the acyl carnitine levels increase. Um, and so we think that the liver is likely driving this response. We have a couple of experiments to do to use a heavy label to see hepatocytes, whether the hepatocytes will pump out these acyl carnitines. Um, so where do these acyl carnitines go, right? What is their role? Um, and, um, and so the first idea we had is, while well, we're looking at cold exposure, could these provide fuel source for thermogenesis? Um, and so we decided to do a radioisotope experiment where we have radio-labeled palmitoyl carnitine, and essentially we, can, we infuse that into mice at room temp versus cold. And then we asked, well, what tissues um, take up this palmitoyl carnitine? And what you can see here this is uh, essentially looking at counts, uh, which re would reflect uptake of acylcarnitine, of palmitylcarnitine. You can see that in response to the cold, that brown adipose tissue is a major consumer of, these, uh, of this uh, radio-labeled palmitylcarnitine. Um, and we see about a six-fold increase in uptake of palmitylcarnitine. So the interesting thing is that for us, now we're starting to think is, well, what's the transporter that drives this uptake? Um, there's very little known about what the role of these acylcarnitines are once they're in the plasma. Did you look at the brain, the brain parts in We haven't, um, but we, do, we plan to. Um, we, we actually want to look at the brain. We also want to look at the kidneys um, because there is some evidence that these acylcarnitines can also uh, be transported out of the blood uh, through the kidney. Um, one of the things that you'll note here is that this isn't the only tissue that uh, takes up these acylcarnitines and uh, the response to the cold, you can also see it uh, in skeletal muscle and heart. Uh, and notably, the liver just, the uptake of acylcarnitines plummets. Uh, and uh, the uptake in white adipose tissue also plummets. 
in response to the cold. Remind me, what's the relative concentration of free fatty acids versus acyl carnitine in plasma with cold exposure? So in response to the cold, free fatty acids will increase to one millimolar, a little bit above one millimolar, and then over time, they decrease. Um, they go down to um, probably 600 micromolar, something like that. Um, the acyl carnitines, if you add them all up together, it probably comes up to about 100 micromolar, anywhere between 50 and 100 micromolar. Um, and so these acyl carnitines are lower abundance compared to fatty acids. And, and, and I think what you're getting at is, well, if you have so much free fatty acids floating around at such a high concentration, why not just use that, right? And, and I think that's happening. I'm not uh, going to say that uh, free fatty acids aren't taken out by cells, because I think that would be completely wrong. Uh, but we think that this, this the, what we think is uh, this pathway may be important for brown fat is because brown fat doesn't make carnitine. It doesn't have the uh, enzyme, uh, the last step in carnitine biosynthesis. So it's a carnitine oxytrope. And so to me, it makes a lot of sense that these free fatty acids um, can be metabolized by the liver, add a carnitine group on, right? Then you go into the bloodstream and you can take these up and uh, they go through a transport mechanism uh, directly into the mitochondria. Um, and so I think this may be a parallel pathway. We don't really know if we did a head-to-head -head comparison, uh, which one would be taken up preferentially? And that's something that we're, we're interested in trying to figure out. What the relative do you think that this, right. do you think that this pattern will be similar to what you see in prolonged fasting? Um, I think it'll be different. different. Yeah, because I think with prolonged fasting, we're not gonna see this increase in yeah. uptake in the brown adipose tissue. But maybe the scale of muscle of the heart will go. Yeah, yeah, so that's the, right. The right, or, or potentially the brain. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we, we'll have to see. Uh, and, and, and so that I should go back to also this is that, to me this also makes a lot of sense that the liver now says, we're not taking them up because we've got to make them for peripheral tissues, right? Um, and the adipose tissue, there's no sense of uh, taking these back up in the adipose tissue. Uh, and so I, I, we just got this data uh, last week and I was really, really excited by the result. Um, so next question is for, that we had was uh, how, uh, can uh, brown adipocytes uh, take up um, carnitines and um, here, what we did is we used a heavy labeled palmatil carnitine. And uh, here, what you can see is we uh, differentiated brown adipocytes in a dish and we gave them um, uh, unlabeled palmatil carnitine versus the heavy labeled palmatil carnitine. Um, and what you can see is that um, those uh, uh, brown adipocytes that were heavy labeled, you can see lots of uptake in brown adipocytes. So essentially we do a pulse, we wash really well, and then we counted, uh, uh, we, we measured the amount of uh, heavy labeled palmatine carnitine um, in these cells. Um, and so the goal here uh, for this study was to follow palmatine carnitine uh, 
um, into the TCA cycle. Uh, with the idea that if it's being metabolized by the brown adipocytes, we should be able to see heavy labeling in uh, TCA cycle intermediates like citrate. Uh, we looked, so we looked at citrate, fumarate, um, and malate. Um, and so here I'll just show you citrate. And um, as here we only had four of the carbons labeled on palmitylcarnitine. And uh, once you make acetyl-CoA, you'll have two carbons that are heavy labeled. Um, and so essentially you should have an M plus two citrate. Um, and you can see here that uh, the heavy labeled uh, palmitylcarnitine group, um, you can see the M plus two labeling in citrate indicating that the palmitylcarnitine is being metabolized. Okay, so what happens, what's the, uh, can we increase carnitines and can we uh, improve the response to cold exposure? So we know that younger mice, they respond pretty well to the cold. Um, and so we decided to do a study in older mice. So these were two-year-old mice. We knew that when you put them in the cold that there's this impaired ability to adapt to the cold. And one way to increase acylcarnitine levels in the blood is by infusing carnitine. And what you can see here in response to the cold in this older mice, you have a, a, an induction in palmitylcarnitine. Um, however, when we infuse carnitine, you see this dramatic increase in palmitylcarnitine. And uh, those mice that were treated with uh, carnitine have a improved ability to adapt to the cold relative to the PBS control. And this study was done at 16 degrees Celsius because if we do four in these older mice, you, we, we actually ended up, they ended up just crashing. Um, so we have to uh, modify our, our experimental protocol with cold exposure. Um, and uh, the next question was, well, if carnitine is doing it and you're increasing these carnitine levels, can you just do it with palmitylcarnitine? Uh, when we follow their cold body temperature, you can see that compared to the PBS control, um, the palmitylcarnitine treated group has an improved ability to adapt to the cold. So this is our working model now. Um, there are a couple of things I think that we uh, can highlight from these studies. Uh, one is that acylcarnitines are induced in response to the cold. Um, there is a role for hepatic HNF4-alpha in this thermogenic response, which was uh, surprising that the liver is involved in this response. But now to us, it makes some sense. Um, and so the model that we have is that um, activation uh, uh, through the sympathetic nervous system will um, lead to beta-3 adrenergic receptor activation. Free fatty acid release in the white adipose tissue will activate the hepatic transcriptional response and will also provide carbons for CPT1 and generating these long chain acylcarnitines. Um, and that these acylcarnitines, once in the bloodstream, can then be taken up by the brown adipose tissue in response to the cold. Um, and the interesting thing is that the lipolytic response drives the changes in hepatic gene expression. Uh, which is something I think is, is, is not really, uh, was well described in the literature. Um, and the fact that these acylcarnitines are catabolized in brown um, um using uh, heavily labeling experiments. 
And um, so I'm going to leave you with this last piece of data. And, uh, and so this was, this, so one of the things in the field in, in studying brown fat has been trying to understand uh, what different fuel sources um, are used by brown adipose tissue in humans. And we know that in response to the cold, when you use 18-fluoro-2-deoxyglucose, you can see the brown fats labeled pretty well in response to the cold. And so this study um, uh, looked at uh, long-chain fatty acid. Um, and what you can see from this study is that most of the uptake is in the liver. See that there is some peripheral uptake in, in areas where there would be brown fat, but the major site for free fatty acid uptake ends up being the liver. And so to, to, to us, this makes some sense that the liver uh, would take up these fatty acids, add the carnitine group on, and then release it into the media for uptake in, into peripheral tissues. Um, so I'd like to thank the people involved in this work, particularly Judy Simcox, has been a tremendous driving force in this project. Um, and um, this project initially uh, started from this observation that these acylcarnitines were increasing in response to the cold. Um, I also have to thank James Cox, who is the director our, of our metabolomic score. We have, I think, one of the best metabolomic scores in the country. Um, and when we started these studies, there was little work on lipids, and now the cores uh, are doing a lot more on lipids, which is great uh, for us. Um, also, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Longo Lab. Um, so they uh, verified our changes in acylcarnitines in response to the cold um, through their uh, clinical test. Um, also, uh, the Apta Lab, Ian Hock, who helped Judy um, carry out these cold exposure experiments in the HNF-Rafa knockout mice. Uh, so we sent Judy to Kansas to carry out the study, uh, which is a great collaboration with uh, the, the Apti lab. Also, uh, uh, Renat Schreiber uh, in Rudy Zechner's lab and Karen Kershaw that provided the ATGL knockout mice. Um, and Lei Jian, who's helped us uh, 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 do the studies, the heavy labeling studies and uh, response to the cold and using palmitol carnitine. Um, also our funding sources um, that have provided much of the support for, for this project. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your attention and all the great questions. Additional? Yes. Is there, is there any role for glucagon in this process? In acylcarnitine metabolism? Well, in, I mean... Or in the cold response. No, well, the cold response. When you think of fatty acid oxidation in the liver and you're an endocrinologist, you think right. glucagon. glucagon. So is, is glucagon out of the picture here, or does it have some role? We don't know. Um, I think it's likely to have a role, right? And insulin would probably suppress this response. Um, but we haven't really looked at that. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a great question. Is, is it is known that you need glucagon for the for the thermogenic response. So there, there's at least one paper that I can remember um, that looked at uh, the role of glucagon. I don't know if it was a receptor or maybe just um, I'm not sure exactly exactly how they showed that. But um, there may be some evidence for glucagon in um, the cold adaptive response. So with cold exposure, glucagon levels go up. Yes. 
And I think it also may depend on how you do the cold exposure as well. So for all the studies that we did in mice, the cold exposure was done without food. Um, and so that, all, that may affect um, the glucagon response. So food or no food. I'm, I'm suspecting that if you don't have food in the cage, when you do the cold exposure, the glucagon response would be, would be a lot higher. Yes? Do you think that fat animals will respond differently? So, for example, you have an obese model and a nephrodeficient model with different response that they have to the cold? We haven't looked. We haven't looked. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's, I think, based on what we've done so far, I think there's a lot of questions that remain to, to be answered. Uh, what is the transporter that gets these acylcarnitines into cells? And that seems to be regulated, right? Because when we look at uptake, that is really effective in, in all the tissues that we looked at, uh, many of the tissues that we looked at. Um, and, um, and, I, and I think looking at acylcarnitines um, in, in other contexts with fasting, where are they taken up? I, mean, there's all, I think there's a lot to do. Claudia, do you think, oh, sorry. What? Uh, do you think that, um, you showed that in epididymal white adipose tissue there was no uptake. So do you think that there's no uptake in, um, in any, like what about beige? Yeah, great question. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, we, we plan to do that um, at some point. The prediction would be that if you, um, if you induce the beige adipocyte program um, with prolonged cold exposure that we would see increased uptake in acylcarnitines in inguinal white fat, right. right, but not yeah. epididymal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, to the point of carnitine uptake experiment, I wonder where the labeling, the Um, it has been metabolized in the circulation before being updated. So where the radioactive labeling takes somehow relevant to me. Right, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, so if I remember correctly, it's on the palmitate. Um, but it I I it's either on the palmitate or on the carnitine, and I don't rem remember exactly, but I, I want to guess it was on the palmitate. It's, it's a possibility that the, the same species build up in the liver. Uh -huh. It can be metabolized somewhere. So you're thinking that perhaps in, in the bloodstream um, that um, you have um, hydrolysis of the ester, yeah, and, the and then you release the palmitate, and then that's being taken out. Um, yeah, I mean, we could address that by looking at the blood, right, and then just running a TLC, for example, and seeing whether we get any breakdown of the palmitoyl carnitine. Yeah, I, I just guess. But that's a, I, I that's a great, that. yeah, that's a great suggestion. Any last questions?